Welcome to the River Fellowship Podcast. At River Fellowship, we desire to experience God, exalt Christ, embrace community, and engage the world. This week, Lead Pastor Daryl Landerson continues the series titled The Exodus with Part 4, The Desert. For the Israelites, much of their Exodus journey from Egypt to the Promised Land was spent in the desert. These three truths give insight into applying the desert life to today. If you'd like to learn more about River Fellowship in Amarillo, Texas, go to rfamarillo.org. I have here this morning a piece of fake flower foam. Now, I don't know if that's the official name of this stuff or not, but some of you will know what it is. You know, you've got the fake flowers with the stems. You know, you stick, it, stick that in. with fake. So I'm just calling it fake flower foam today. What do you think would happen if I take this little roller and I just begin to roll over this fake flower foam over and over again. Just this habitual running back and forth. And I would just keep doing this on and on and on ad nauseum. What do you think is going to happen? Well, as you're going to notice, I hope you can see it, is there's this little trench that's been made, a little track. So when you see this trench or this track, would you consider that a rut or a groove? We're in our series this morning, uh, continuing in the Exodus, where we are looking at the story of Moses and the Israelites as they leave the promise or they leave Egypt and they pursue the promised land. And we're trying to pull out uh, truths and principles that we can apply to our life today. And in this story of freedom, so far we've dealt with the call which initiates the process. We've talked about the move, which is important because when God calls you from here to there, you're gonna have to move from here to there. The call requires a move. We've also talked about the fight, and the fights are all those obstacles, roadblocks and hindrances in between here and there when God calls us to move from here and there. We have a fight on our hands because the enemy doesn't want us to be able to move and fulfill that call. So I wanna add to that this morning by talking about the desert. And maybe put a different perspective. Maybe have us see life in the desert, maybe from a, a different perspective and a different point of view this morning. Now, for some, when I mentioned the desert, probably automatically, immediately, your thought went to the 40 years in the, in the desert when they wandered around because they wouldn't go into the promised land. Because of their rebellion, because of their fear, even though the promised land was a beautiful, amazing place flowing with milk and honey, they were afraid of the inhabitants, they were afraid of the battle, they didn't think God would give it to them, so they rebelled. And because of their rebellion, disobedience, fear, doubt, they had to spend 40 years in the desert. That story is actually in Numbers instead of Exodus. But I'm not talking about that part of the story. I want you to put all that to the side and don't even think about the 40-year wondering right now. I want to talk about life in the desert from when they left Egypt as they pursued the promised land. Because what's interesting is when you look at the story, most of their time was spent in the desert. Chapter 13, verse 18, it said that God led them by the desert road. Chapter 15, verse 22, after they crossed the Red Sea, it said that they went into the desert of Shur. Chapter 16, verse 1, after they spent a little time in Elam, it said they traveled into the desert of Sin. And then in chapter 19, verse 1, they came to the desert of Sinai, and they camped there 
for a little while. So most of their journey was spent uh, in the desert. And I think that has some great symbolism for us this morning. <clears throat> there might be several applications of life in the desert, but the one I want to talk about this morning is I think the best application of life in the desert is life in the everyday. I think it represents life in the ordinary, commonplace, every routine day of life. So it represents that job you go to nine to five, five or six days a week. It represents changing poopy diapers and feeding your kids and transporting your kids and taking care of your sick kids. It represents meal prep and taking care of your lawn and repairing plumbing problems and taking care of aging parents and dealing with retirement and wondering how I'm going to afford college and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All this stuff that we do every single day over and over ad nauseum, it's part of our routine, part of our life, just part of what we have to do is live. That to me is what living in the desert represents. So knowing that, let me ask you this question a little more personally. Do you see your life in the desert? Do you see your everyday routine of life as a rut or a groove? As we look through the story of the Exodus, we're going to see how the Israelites looked at it. But let's look at some definitions. Here's the main definition of a rut. Definition of a rut is a track worn by habitual passage of anything. What we just did with the roller. All right? It's just this track that's worn by this habitual passage of everything. I used to have a dog named Purdy. She was a wealth of sermon illustrations. She was so crazy and so wild. She gave me so many stories. But one thing that happened when we moved to Amarillo is she developed separation anxiety. So when we would put her out in the backyard and leave, she would spend the entire time running around the backyard, around the fence line. And so she just wore this track. She would do it the entire time. So we had this plush green grass lawn, except for about a foot wide track all the way around the fence line. And to make things worse in that track was in the middle was a little bit sunken in. So anytime we would water the grass or it would rain, it would fill up with mud and it would just be a muddy mess the whole time that we had to clean her up. Years ago, I worked at a uh, golf course for a few months and my main job was to mow greens and tee boxes. But one day the boss had me mow the, the rough next to the fairway. Well, this course had a lot of creeks and some ponds of water, and all of them were kind of sloped, so they all kind of sloped into the water. Well, this one time when I was mowing, I got a little bit too close to the pond, and it was sloped, and it was wet, and the big old tractor mower that I'd never used before just started to kind of slide down into the creek. Well, I start doing everything I can to get out of it, and I push on the gas as much as you can on one of those tractors, but all it does, the wheels are just spinning in the mud, so you just have this big mud rut, and I'm not going anywhere. I'm just spinning my wheels, and I go sliding right down in the creek. Felt a little humiliated. I had to call my boss. They had to bring a bigger tractor to come tow me out of there, and I felt pretty embarrassed until the boss said, hey, don't worry about it. Every one of us have done that at least one time in this deal, but those are ruts, a track-worn by this continual passage. Here's the definition of a groove. A track worn by an habitual passage of anything. It's the same definition. But it has a different feel, doesn't it? 
Those of you that remember the old school vinyl record albums, they had a groove in it and you put the needle in that groove and it was the groove that created the music. Back in the day when I would read about Magic Johnson and Larry Bird and some of these NBA players, their routine, they had a normal routine that they did every single day. They would shoot a thousand shots every single day and they had a, a ritual, a routine, the way they would do that every day. Phil Mickelson, when I read part of his uh, routine. He had a routine where he would putt 253 foot putts. Actually, I think he would have to make 253 foot putts. I'd still be there trying to make those. But they had this routine that they did day after day after day after day after day. But it didn't seem like a rut, did it? It seemed like a groove. It, why? Because it created success. It created this excitement. So it's the same definition, but it's a totally different application. When we think about rut, we think about things like futility and frustration and boredom, lifelessness, just spinning our wheels, just kind of going through this track routine. But when we think about a groove, man, we think about something that's energizing and exciting. It's life-giving. It creates success. It creates efficiency and delight. So a rut is something that you would love to be able to get out of but a groove is something you would love to be able to stay in. So I ask you again, in your desert journey, in your everyday routine of life, do you feel like you're in a rut? Or do you feel like you're in a groove? Well, let's look at the Israelites because what makes the difference is our perspective. How we live, how we think, what we do when we're in the desert. So let's, let's look a little bit at the Israelites. Chapter 15, verse 22, says that Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. Verse 27, Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve springs and seventy palm trees, and they camped there near the water. So we see, what do they do here in the desert of Shur? Well, they begin to grumble against Moses and complain and gripe, and that's the equivalent of complaining against God. Chapter 16, verse 1 says, The whole Israelite community set out from Elam, and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, there we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death." So here, after this respite in Elam, they travel into the desert of Sin. What do they do? They grumble some more. Now it says the whole community is grumbling. Now everybody in the pack starting to grumble, and they're grumbling even more, and it's so bad, they wish they were back in Egypt. They don't even appreciate what God has been doing for them so far. They want to go back where they came from. Chapter 19, verse 1. In the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on the very day they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. 
And then Moses went up to God. If you fast forward to chapter 32, verse 1, what did the Israelites do while Moses was up on the mountain? Chapter 32, verse 1 tells us when the people saw that Moses was so long and coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. So here in the desert of Sinai, they get so bored. They get so tired of their routine. They get so tired every morning having to go pick up manna. And then every night go and pick up quail and do all the stuff that they have to do day after day after day. They get so sick and tired and bored of that, they go make another God. <laughs> so the Israelites had a difficult time in the desert. They spent their time grumbling. They lose sight of who their God is. They lose sight of what God has done for them. They lose sight of what God is doing for them. They lose sight of what God is going to do for them. They lose sight of where they're going. They lose sight of God just delivered them from Egypt, taking them to the promised land. They forgot all that. And they just start grumbling and griping. I would say... They're in a rut. So how do we keep from making that same mistake? How can we in our desert life, in our everyday routine, the stuff that we have to do day after day after day after day after day that can seem heavy, can seem weighty, can seem futile sometimes, how can we keep from being in a rut? How can we make that a groove? Well, let me give you three truths this morning. Truth number one, understand that you cannot bypass the desert. You cannot bypass the desert. We would like to, we would love to live from mountaintop to mountaintop and forget the desert, but we can't do that. The desert wants to be omitted, but it's only because the desert lies so much different than the mountaintop experience. If you look in chapter 19, we see that uh, there's going to be this mountaintop experience. In verse, we pick it up in verse 16, and Moses has already told them to, to prepare for something, prepare for God's presence, to consecrate themselves. That's something we'll probably talk about maybe in a couple of weeks. But in verse 16, it says, On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning, with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it with fire. The smoke billowed up like smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently, and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Then Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered. Here we see the mountaintop experience, and the mountaintop featured smoke and thunder and lightning and the voice of God. This mountaintop experience was exciting. It was powerful. It was amazing. It was moving. But it was just a moment. Moses himself could not even stay up on the mountaintop. Even Moses had to come back down into the desert in life. The, I think the, the truth for us is we love the mountaintop experiences. We crave mountaintop experiences. We seek and we desire those moments of, of worship 
and wonder and powerful moves. And to be very honest with you, we need those moments. We need those moments of the mountaintop experience where we, we see God afresh, we see God anew, and we, we, we experience this great moving experience. But we can't live there. We can't stay there. Most of our journey is going to be in the desert, not on the mountaintop. It's interesting, if you think about the Israelites' journey, they didn't get to jump from mountaintop experience to mountaintop experience. In other words, they didn't start here in Egypt and all of a sudden get to jump and they're at the Red Sea. And then from the Red Sea, they get to jump and now they're at the springs of Elam. And then from there, they jump to Mount Sinai and all of a sudden they're at Mount Sinai and then they jump again and all of a sudden they're over here in the promised land. They couldn't jump from top to top. What did they do? They had to walk through the desert with those momentary experiences of God. Now, what I just did tired me out jumping. <laughs> and there's another principle there. It's a lot harder trying to jump from mountaintop to mountaintop than it is walking through the desert. But here's the reality is there are many who are trying to jump from mountaintop to mountaintop. They've got to go from experience to experience. They have to stay on this spiritual high or they don't know how to cope. They're driven by their emotion. They're driven by their experience. They need the hype to thrive spiritually. The problem is when they're forced to come back down from the mountain, back into the everyday routine of life, their walk with Christ begins to suffer, begins to dry up, and the rut monster begins to grab hold of them. The principle isn't that we don't need mountaintop experiences. We do. And we should love them and we should take every advantage of those opportunities. The problem is we can't live there and we can't stay there. The apostles couldn't stay in the upper room as cool of an event as that was at Pentecost. Moses couldn't stay on Mount Sinai as cool of an experience as that was for him. The disciples could not stay on the Mount of Transfiguration as holy a moment as that was. And we can't stay on the mountaintop. We've got to learn that we cannot bypass the desert, which tells us we have to learn how to live in the desert and still experience the life that God has promised us. So that leads us to truth number two. How do we do that? Truth number two is to remember that God is with you in the desert. God's with you even in the desert. He's not just with you on the mountaintop. We look at the story of the Israelites. God was not just with the Israelites at the Red Sea. He was not just with the Israelites at the springs of Elam when they had 12 springs and 70 palm trees. God wasn't just with the Israelites when they were there on Mount Sinai and once they got to the promised land. If you read through the story of the Exodus, he was with them on the desert road by a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. He was with them in the desert of Shur by providing fresh water. He was with them in the desert of Sin by providing the manna and the quail and letting them experience the glory of God. He was with them in the desert of Sinai, allowing them to see God's mighty power and awesomeness. God was with them every step of the way, not just the mountaintop, but every step in the desert. And the truth is that God is with you 
every single day. And he is with you in the routine of life, sometimes in the mundane of life, in the routine of life. When we are entrenched in our daily issues and our daily responsibilities and our daily routines, it's easy to forget that God is with me. He is just as present in the desert as he is on the mountaintop. What's even more significant is if you're a child of God, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, he's not just with you, he is in you. And he is in you every moment, even in the routine days of life. As 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians say on multiple occasions, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And God's presence dwelt in the temple all the time. He dwells in us all the time. And he's ever present, even in the routine, even in the ordinary, even when we are doing what we're doing in our daily life. His presence is constant, whether we're on the mountaintop or over the stovetop. And his presence is with us whether we're in an amazing worship service or we're providing taxi service. He is in you every day and he is in your every day. And when we remember that, we're able to glory in it rather than grumble in it. Which brings me to the third truth. Life in the desert can be a groove when we realize that purpose is fulfilled even in the desert. God's purpose is fulfilled even in the desert. God's purpose for us is fulfilled even in the desert. Our purpose, why God created us, our purpose is fulfilled even in the desert. I want to give you two equations to think about. You can ponder this this week. Here's the first equation. Routine minus purpose equals a rut. Your routine minus purpose equals a rut. The other equation is routine plus purpose equals a groove. A big difference in your everyday, commonplace, everything you do day to day, the difference in it being a rut and a groove has a lot to do with purpose, remembering your purpose and remembering God wants to fulfill your purpose even in the midst of all that daily stuff that you're doing. What is your purpose? Well, 1 Corinthians 10.31 says it most succinctly. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you do it all for the glory of God. What is more commonplace and every day than eating and drinking? So whether you're eating or drinking or changing diapers or preparing supper or going to your job or trying to fix your lawnmower, whatever you're doing every day as part of your routine, you do it all for the glory of God. Because here's, here's what happens. This first equation, a routine minus purpose equals a rut. Here's, here's what happens. When you lose sight of your purpose in the midst of your routine, you begin to lose sight of God's presence and God's provision and God's power and God's protection. And when you lose sight of those things, you begin to grumble 
and complain and lose hope and lose your passion. You begin to doubt and rebel and lose your drive. But in the midst of that routine, if you can maintain this purpose and realize that God's going to fulfill purpose, even in the routine, the entire opposite happens. That God's going to use me and glorify himself, even in every, this, this normal mundane stuff that I do every day. I'm going to suggest to you that I think, in fact, God is more honored and more glorified in your daily routine than anything else you do. I think he can be more glorified and be used in greater magnitude when we understand the presence of God and our purpose in our everyday routine. Because here's what happens. You're doing your routine of life. Okay, we're not talking about a church service where we can all say hallelujah. We're talking about everyday, everyday life. You keep, you're keeping your purpose in mind. As you keep your purpose in mind, now you still understand God's presence God's provision and God's peace and God's power and God's protection. All this I'm experiencing. I'm grateful for it. I'm appreciative of it. I realize what God is, who God is, everything that he's doing in the normal routine of life. And so I'm living life in a groove and other people look at me and their life is a rut because they don't get it. And they look at you and they say, how are you at such peace in the midst of everything that's going on? How are you experiencing such power in your life? I see God's presence. I see God's provision. I see something going on in you and in your attitude and in your demeanor. And how are you doing that? And you're able to say, man, it's the presence of God. It's the power of God. It's the love of God. And you're able to give testimony of what God's doing as he's active and alive and present, even in your normal, routine, desert life. So your daily routine does not negate God's purpose for your life. It enhances it. And God will use every aspect of your life, of your ordinary life, to glorify himself, to draw you unto himself, to draw others unto himself, and to use you for his kingdom. So really, for me, I think the difference in this being a rut or a groove, the difference in your normal desert, ordinary life being a rut and a groove, is, it's really attitude. It's your attitude. The attitude makes all the difference. Life in the desert can suck the life out of you if you let it. So don't let it. Desert life can burn you up and dry you out if you let it. So don't let it. Have your attitude that I'm going to allow God to live through me even in the midst of my daily routine. That's important. Attitude is important because it not only affects your present, but it affects your future. You remember the story we kind of started with when they were in the desert for 40 years because of their rebellion. Okay? Let me, let me paint a picture for you. 
in their desert journey from the desert of Shur into the desert of Sin into the desert of Sinai, their whole journey in the desert was full of grumbling and complaining, forgetting who God is, forgetting what God has done for them, forgetting what God was doing, forgetting where God was taking them, was always complaining, no joy, no rejoicing, no thankfulness, no gratefulness. It was just all this yada, 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 yada. By the time they get over here to go into the promised land, they won't go. Why? Because they had the same attitude. They had formed this attitude in them that they grumble against God. They doubt God. They fear what's going on. They're not thankful. They don't remember everything God's done. So now they face this. They're unwilling to go. So this attitude affected not just then, but it affected their future. And because of that, they spent 40 years in the wilderness desert. The attitude right now in your everyday routine of life it's not only going to impact right now, but it's going to impact way down the road too. So not only will you be in a rut, you're going to stay in a rut unless you can change the attitude. How does that attitude change? Well, I think the key is this. The key in our ordinary, everyday, commonplace life is to remember who God is. To remember what God has done for us. To remember what God is doing in us and for us right now. Remembering what God is going to do for us. Remembering where God has taken us. Remembering that God has taken us from bondage and slavery and has moved us into the promised land, into freedom. That he's taken us out of the darkness and he's moved us into his glorious light. And every single day when we wake up, we are so grateful. We are so appreciative. God, thank you for freeing me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for working in me. Thank you for doing all that you're doing. You're the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And I'm so amazed. I'm so glad. God, everything I do today, whether I'm changing, whatever I'm doing, I'm going to glorify you. I'm going to thank you. And I'm going to remember that your presence is right here with me right now. I don't have to wait and have a mountaintop experience at River Fellowship. If we'll keep that attitude, your life, desert life, will be a groove. And instead of grumbling in it, God will be glorified in it. Let's pray together. Thanks for listening. We truly hope that you are blessed and encouraged. If you'd like to learn more about River Fellowship in Amarillo, Texas, go to rfamarillo.org.